Well, we are in Second Samuel, chapter 20 this evening. The headless oarsman, that's what we're going to talk about. And <clears throat> the man is a rebel who is the central character of the story this evening. He is um, a man who God had given strength and influence in Israel so that he could metaphorically row in the same direction as the king of Israel, whom God also gave to the nation. He is a leader of a tribe, Benjamin it appears, and he again has great sway over nine other tribes. And these ten tribes, the nine others and his tribe of Benjamin, were supposed to, along with Judah, the tribe of Judah, escort the king back to Jerusalem to his throne, from which he was in exile because of his son Absalom. That's a little uh, background, but I don't want to spend too much time on the background. But instead of being this oarsman rowing in the same direction as the king, in the end, he becomes headless, decapitated. <laughs> They're going to cut off his head. His rebellion, rebellion cost him everything. And not only that, it cost him his reputation and that of his father. Uh, several times, I'm not even going to read it each time we get to it, but it says, Sheba the son of Bikri. Sheba the son of Bikri. Over and over, and his father is attached to his shame forever. And great lessons to apply or dismiss. You, you can do that. You can take the Bible lessons and you can dismiss them or you can take them to heart and allow the Holy Spirit to harvest them when he needs them as he uses us to serve. This story makes me examine myself, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, let each one examine his own work. It's a lot better to examine your own work than put someone else under a microscope. And so therefore, this evening, uh, my repetitive or well, repetitive references to Sheba losing his head are going to be intentional. Because in the Bible, and anywhere else, Decapitation is always something that carries with it, uh, well, it gets our attention. And in the Bible, it always has an emphatic lesson attached to it. When David chopped the head of Goliath off, nobody forgets that. Have you ever met anyone? Ooh, I didn't. I forgot about that. No, it's, it's, it's something that is uh, meant to hold our attention. There's nothing subtle about a severed head. Now, the Old Testament books of the Bible carry, of course, lessons and much war. There's a lot of bloodshed in the Old Testament of animals and men alike. But in the New Testament, the emphasis shifts from bloodshed to belief, to dealing with beliefs. The New Testament emphasizes belief not blood, in the war. Of course, the blood of the Lamb is over it all, Old and New Testament alike. I'm not factoring that out. But we Christians are not supposed to take up arms and go around shooting people to get them to believe what we believe. But we are supposed to wage war against false beliefs. And this should occupy a lot of our time. So now we look at the first verse of 
Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba. And this is the last time I'll read the whole thing. The son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, O Israel. Well, again, in escorting David back to the throne, the great David is, okay, we won the war against Absalom. That was a miracle. And going back to the throne, before he gets even close, there's another rebellion led by this guy, Sheba. They, so they argued, and then the, the, the rebellion came with arguing who is going to be the lead tribe, taking it like little children. Only these guys have swords, and they know how to use them. And, of course, that's in chapter 19, the last three verses of the previous chapter. Just give it, give it to us. And now we're, we're seeing the outcome of those ten tribes losing the argument against Judah. Judah prevails. And so Sheba says, fine, we're out of here. We don't need you. We don't need your king. Well, that's rebellion. He is a Benjamite, and it's pointed out on purpose. Because many of the Benjamites retained bitterness over their no longer being honored as a regal tribe. Their first king, Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. And now it's a, a king from Judah. And they don't want to give it up. One of the smallest tribes with the biggest mouths. Let's consider the Benjamites in David's life, the outstanding ones, and I've counted nine of them. There's King Saul, who hounded David every chance he could to kill him. There's the daughter of Saul, who married David, Michelle. Ishbosheth, another son of Saul, who came to the throne uh, after Saul's death, uh, which in, in the nation was split. Ziba, the servant of a man named Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son. I'm giving you the negative ones first. Saul, Michelle, uh, Ishbosheth, Ziba. And there's uh, Shemai, or Shemai, uh, Shemai, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, now Sheba. So that's six of them that were opponents that resisted the rule of David. But there were three of them that did not resist so much. Abner was in between. He was loyal to Saul, and you've got to give him credit for that. He was loyal to Saul. And then, of course, he um, eventually sides with David and is killed by Joab. There's Jonathan, Saul's son, and, of course, Jonathan and David loved each other. There was no bitterness there. And Jonathan's remaining son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled, and uh, yet he, too, was loyal to David. And so uh, these are the Benjamites that he had to deal with his, his entire, uh, well, I don't know, as he got older, the nation was pretty much, okay, David's the king. But uh, for much of the time on the throne, he had to deal with this stuff. It says that he blew the trumpet. Well, when he wasn't ruling, he, he played in nightclubs. Um, of course, it doesn't mean he was a trumpet, trumpet player. It's a shofar uh, as opposed to a, a hammered horn. Uh, this is a horn of an animal. And this blowing the trumpet signaled a military withdrawal from supporting David, and the ten tribes are now going to follow him. 
Too bad the ten tribes didn't say, we don't follow you. No, they didn't. They just got right in line with him. Oh, good, another rebellion. We couldn't wait. Uh, And said, we have no share in David. I'm still in verse 1. Nor do we have an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. I don't know if it was that poetic when he said it. I'm sure it probably was. It's just kind of poetic. Not on the level of Shakespeare, but it's it's still, uh, you know, every man to his tents. Uh, kind of, let's get out of here, boys. So, uh, again, before David can get to the throne, he's got to put up with this. Self-serving pride. It's all over the scripture. Self-exaltation. Why does not this man understand that David is God's appointed appointment to the throne? And so many others. Angry that he lost the argument with Judah. And so now he decides he's going to row in a different direction. What happens if any organization on earth, a kingdom, a business, a home, we have people rowing in different directions? You go in circles if you go anywhere. It interferes with progress. And we're looking at it here in this chapter. He is supposed to be an oarsman in the kingdom. He has all this influence. He is in the same boat as the king to row for the king. He's going to lose his head over this, and he knows it not. He didn't wake up that morning and said, let's go bring the king back, but I'm going to rebel and lose my head in the process. He didn't have to say that. That's who he was inside, and he did not take any steps to intercept that behavior in his own heart. Ultimately, his own people will hack his head off and lob it over the wall. To save themselves. And they didn't do it right away, which is not good for them. They should have, it should have been like that, but they hemmed and hawed and (laughs) let Joab build up strength. We're going to come to that. But Jesus said about this kind of behavior uh, well, this, there's a lot that we're going to hopefully cover from the Lord on this, but this part about him losing his head. Metaphorically, a person loses their head when they lose control. And when we lose control of our spirit, we've lost our head. Some others uh, do it it when it comes to what they think about Jesus. They've lost their head. They're they're headless. Jesus said, cast out the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. That's what happens to this man's head when they lob it over the wall. They cast it out of the city. It's gone. These illustrations in in the Bible are are on purpose because God says to all of us adults, you still need lessons like little children. That's not an insult, at least as I'm using it. Unless you become as little children, Jesus said, hungry for these illustrations, for these great points to do something with your life. The danger is as we age and we don't see the results when we demand them, we begin to question. As I mentioned, Job, Job chapter 9, verse 16, Job says, you know, God's it's too late. Even if he answers me now, I won't even know it's him. Well, he knew it was God when God decided to show up. I mean, God has a way of, of overriding whatever fogginess or confusion we may have developed in this war. David, it is his sin, of course, that interfered with God shielding the kingdom, thus the judgment. David, 
Do you want, what do you want as your judgment? Because I'm going to deal with you for this. I have to send this signal to you and everybody else that I do not smirk at sin. And uh, the, the, the one that David, leaving it in God's hands, God um, said, I'm going to, you're going, there's going to be war. The sword's not going to depart from your house. That's a little, actually, kind of mixed. I kind of mixed that with the later judgment that's coming on David with the previous one. But you can overlook that because you're gracious Christians and that's what you do. Anyway, uh, David's enemies, even though they're part of God's judgment, they will answer for their individual actions, like it was with Judas Iscariot. God did not put a sword to Judas' head and said, you have to betray my son. God just knew Judas was going to do it. And he said, okay, I know what you're going to do, and I'm going to control how it plays out. And this is what is happening with these characters. Absalom was, was dirty in his heart. And so was Sheba. And so were Ahithophel and others. And God says, fine, you don't have to submit to my will. But I'm not going to submit to your, your, your evil actions. I'm going to use them. And that's what we're looking, looking at. Verse 2. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem, remain loyal to their king. Well, the northern tribes are the ones that desert, as, as I've already made. They're foolish enough to listen to this one man, which doesn't say something good about them. Knowing the kingdom is at its weakest because of this whole Absalom civil war that just ended. So now we, we talk about the word that is brought up here in this verse that is supposed to mean something. Loyalty. Loyalty, it's a fragile virtue. Many, many times we tend to use loyalty when we feel like it. Therefore, we, we cancel it out. It's no longer loyalty if it's just when you feel like it. Sheba used his influence to rebel against the king who he was to, supposed to support and be loyal to. He does not do that. And disaster comes to any relationship if there is a contest to rule at any cost. If there are uh, one or more that are contesting each other's authority to rule, you have a disaster coming, whether it is a kingdom or a home. A two-headed anything is a problem. It's not supposed to be that way. Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. And a house divided against a house falls. A kingdom divided against a kingdom falls. This is a principle that the Lord Jesus has ordained as fact for us. I mean, everybody else could have said it. We would say, yeah, that's true. But when it comes out of the mouth of the Lord, we say, that's very true. It's verily, verily true. So I ask myself, am I using what God has given me to interfere with his will or to, to be used to achieve his will? I think we all, let a man examine himself. We're supposed to ask ourselves these things from time to time. It's not a one-time deal that we ask ourselves once and, okay, we're good. We return to it. But the men of Judah, we'll come back to loyalty in a moment. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remain loyal to their king. If you're loyal to God, you won't be in this contest in the home, incidentally. 
Because God has laid out the rules. And it, you won't be in this contest even in a church because God has laid out the rules. Uh, but, uh, of course, those who no longer want, who, uh, those who allow their loyalty to be governed by their feelings, they just make up the rules <clears throat> when it's convenient for them and won't even admit it. And I'm sure I've been guilty of it. Uh, it's not a, a confession to you at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, it, it, I mean, we all know that we've, we fall in every area to some degree, but um, then, and we are also very strong in some areas. And that's the, the quest, is to develop where, our strengths, to fortify our strengths. Judah remains in protection to the king as the other ten tribes go. They will march him back to Jerusalem. Loyalty leads to victory because disloyalty does not. Exodus chapter 32, we have the story when Moses came down the mountain with the tablets in his hand for the first time because he had to get a do-over. And when uh, he, he throws down the stones, he sees the debauchery going on. And, and then this is what Moses says in verse 26 of Exodus 32. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on Yahweh's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Pity they didn't retain that understanding of what loyalty is. Moses is loyal to God, not the people first. And then here the Levites are loyal to Moses. Because they believe that Moses is loyal to God. That was a high day for them. That's why the tribe of Levi became priests, were chosen. And originally, God wanted all the Jews to be representatives of him to men. But because of faithlessness, it didn't turn out that way. Loyalty is only visible under pressure. It's like the stars. You only see them at night. They're there. Uh, loyalty may not be there in some, but if it is there, it's when there's pressure. But many think loyalty, you know, disagreeing justifies fleeing. That's what Sheba is doing here. He disagrees. He thinks they should lead David into the... I mean, we're not talking about apostasy and heresy and things like that. We're talking about just policy, conducting business. Because there are many gray zones in life. And somebody's got to decide, okay, we're going to take this gray zone and not that gray zone. Loyalty does not always agree, nor does it like what it must face. But it stands its ground no matter what. That's what loyalty does. It stands its ground and takes the hits, understanding that without loyalty there can't be victory. We applaud our heroes. Our heroes become heroes because they're loyal to something. If loyalty is exercised only when, is, when it suits us, then it's not a virtue, is it? It's something else. Paul talks about this, as do many others. Second Timothy 4, his final letter. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. Because they're not loyal to God's word. Because they're not loyal to God. And we're supposed to read this. You know, the language. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will stack them up. There's no shortage of these guys. 
They'll find them anywhere. If they don't like what you're saying, they'll go find another one. They'll, they'll shop for a teacher. Not based on truth, but based on the sensation, the tickled ear. We love to see loyalty in action. Oftentimes, except when our feelings are stepped on, we are hurt. And that's when loyalty is supposed to ramp up and stand its ground. I'm not going to back out. You know, Nehemiah said, shall a man such as I flee? I've tried to use that verse in life. And I, I think I have used it, but it hurts. It's not something that, shall a man such as I flee? <laughs> I should have ran. It was probably a better idea, but it wasn't. I did the right thing. It just hurts. It hurts to stand your ground. That's why people don't. It's my bean field. I'm not giving it up. We'll come to that lesson in Kings. The Bible has her heroes, and we love them for it. We love when Ruth pledges allegiance to Naomi and then carries it out. We love when Itai stands and says, I will be with you, David, life or death. Luke, uh, Paul writes in his last letter again in 2 Timothy, only Luke is with me. What, what, a, what a medal of honor for Luke. Paul is, the other Christians are reading it. Oh, I wish I was there with him too. Because they loved this man. Why did they love Paul? Because he was so loyal to Jesus. How did he get to be loyal to Jesus? Well, he killed Stephen. That haunted him. The Holy Spirit took that and used it as steam in Paul's engine. Maybe you have failed in some horrible ways. I'm not doing that again. That's God using that. I, I, am, I am learning that every negative thing can be used for the kingdom. That's why Paul said God causes these things to work together for the good. Those who love him. Because they, they love him and their loyalty shows up. We cringe at disloyalty. Again, Paul writes, for Demas has forsaken me. Not a lot of loyalty there. We don't name our kids Demas. At least, well, there might be one or two out there. What's the boy's name? Demas. Hmm. Well, <laughs> he says, having loved this present world and has departed. Pressure was on. What was the pressure? The, the, the desire. He wanted to party rather than pray. And again, in 2 Timothy, he continues a few verses down. He says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And then he goes on, may God not hold it against them. They didn't want to be associated with, with, with Paul because he was, you know, a prisoner, a rebel in the kingdom of men, but not in the kingdom of God. And so I preached to myself by saying these things. I asked myself, what is my loyalty score? You can find what your credit score is. What is my loyalty score as I look at my life? Have I been loyal to those whom God has put me under? Sheba was not that man. He, and his name means oath. I pledge to not be loyal, I guess. That's what he interpreted it. Verse 3. Oh, one good thing about me using this device, I can't see the timer that I forgot to start. So we're going to just go on and on. Verse 3. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem. And the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and <clears throat> supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. 
These poor women, what did they do to deserve that? Absalom. Uh, they're suffering a life of abstinence now because of Absalom. Uh, but David, you know, he takes care of them and makes it, um, he eases the pain. That's all we know about that. What we know about humans is, you know, just uh, could be good or bad, and it looks like it was good in, in their favor. Verse 4. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So David gives Amasa the command of his army over Joab, and he gives him a simple directive, a command. Gather the militia. You had your standing army, you had your mercenaries, you had your militia. The militia were the, the warriors that didn't, weren't full-time. They were like the reserves. They'd go back to farming or doing whatever they did. When there was a war, you'd call up the militia, and that was the greater part of their military. The standing army was not, not as large as the militia. Well, he's told, and this is just Judah now we're talking about. Uh, so Amasa, who had turned on David and sided with Absalom. That's an important part of the story because Joab knows that. And he's, Joab does not forget. He's just, uh, so anyway, that is going to be part of the story. So as now general of the army, he, he's going to mess this up. In verse 4, and uh, the king said to Amasa, assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went, verse 5, to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. That's not working good for Amasa. His first assignment as general of the army is, is poorly handled. It says, but they delayed longer than the time set by David the appointed time that David gave to him? He's procrastinating. Or is he resisting? Well, we're not told. We know how Joab views this. Joab gives nobody the benefit of the doubt. Joab says, this guy is still on Absalom's side. That's, that's my understanding of what's going on. So, uh, verse 6 now, And David said to Abishai, Now see, Sheba, what he will do, uh, will do to us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. Well, we get a little, in, a little look at this. This is important for other parts of Scripture. To just gather Judah's militia, three days wasn't enough. So imagine if they had to gather the whole nation. You know, how long would it take to get these troops here? And that, that was how, you know, David got out of Jerusalem and escaped because of how, how long it took. Hushai's advice. But anyway... That's just a part of the, uh, the life and times of the people back then. Nowadays, you can put a battalion somewhere in with less than 24 hours or, or more, anywhere in the world, except Ashland. All right, I tried to give you a little break, but let's get back to it. There's nothing wrong with Ashland. It's just it's like, huh? <laughs> uh, Abishai, Abishai always close to David. He just, you know, as much as David didn't like his moves, Abishai, as we covered, very loyal to him. And uh, he's likely the general over the, the mercenaries. Joab as, is the general probably over the standing army. He still has a command of troops, just not the big general as, as Mesa is. And at least that's, that's the only way I can work it in my head. And I have to work it out in my head or, or, or then get to the verse and say, I don't know what's going on here. But I have an idea. And it's helpful to the story. So, 
David, he trusts Abishai more than Joab, and that's who he goes to. Abishai, and that's an important part. We'll come to why this whole dy- David ends up hating Joab, and we'll have to talk about that a little bit. And, and we can identify with these things, and that's why these stories are here. Um, Joab, he was loyal to David too, but with, with a catch and not a, a twist to it and not a good one. Anyway, uh, David never forgave Joab for killing Abner, the last commander, uh, and, and Absalom. He never, he, and he's not going to forgive him for killing Amasa either. He says, take your Lord's servants. It's unclear who he's talking about there. You can guess. I'm just going to leave it unclear. Uh, and he says, pursue, the, pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. Well, David knows he's got to strike quickly, else Amasa's going to just build up these cities, and they'll, they're going to have a split kingdom. And Amasa is uh, uh, helping the enemy. Verse 7, So Joab's men, with the Kerithites and the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, went out after him, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba. Uh, the Kerithites and the Pelethites, uh, these are things that grow in caves. Uh, they <laughs> Stalagmites and the Pelethites. Anyway, the palace guards, these are the mercenaries. And uh, they are very seriously devoted. And it's, it's good to use mercenaries, foreigners, as your guard in the kingdom, palace guard, because they didn't have the uh, tribal agenda. They were less likely to, you know, let's get rid of David so our tribe can be number one. They didn't have that junk, and it was a way that they, they filtered that out. It worked uh, pretty, pretty good, too. Anyway, um, uh, they, he says they went out of Jerusalem, and that was the, 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 the base for the standing army. Uh, verse 8, when they, now the, the other army was supposed to be at, meet, meet with David, but the, he, he delayed. Verse 8, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor, uh, drama music there. On, on it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Well, they're only about five miles from Jerusalem. Amasa is the cousin of Absalom and Joab and Abishai, he released this is family. You'd think he'd get a pass. Well, Absalom didn't. And uh, to Joab, Amasa's, he's a usurper. He's, he's undermining David's authority. He's helping the enemy. And he's going to implement some street justice here. He feels he needs a solution. This is the solution. David failed through his political mover, maneuvers, but... Joab's not going to fail. I think he, he has to justify it in his head. He killed Abner and said, yeah, well, he killed my brother. Yeah, but it was outside the law. Yeah, well, he killed my brother. I killed him. And Absalom, of course, that was an easy one. I don't care what David said. This guy has caused, wrecked the kingdom. But this one, uh, this, uh, this ounce of doubt is all Joab needed to justify what he's going to do. Now, where it says that he was going forward, it fell out. Now, I don't for one minute believe it fell out. And, and that's not what the Hebrew word means. And some, a lot of the commentators believe that it was a ploy that 
oops, I dropped my sword, Amasa, and that put him, you know, was already out, and as Amasa came forward, it made it easy to kill him. I don't, look, if I'm walking for some, for, to someone and their pistol falls out, I, I'm not going to be giving that guy a hug. And this is what's happening. Amasa's going to give him a hug. He's going to, they're going to embrace. I don't think so with that sword out. So my point is, it's a gravity-fed maneuver. <clears throat> he tilts his sheath and the his sword falls into his hand, and Mesa doesn't see this. He's keeping it close to his body, but it's out, or it's out enough. And uh, he, of course, is going to use it. So it, it drops into Joab's hand, and that's a fair meaning of the Hebrew word there, drop. The drop does not mean fell on the ground. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it, it's, this is very intentional. And uh, verse 9 then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Well, where he says, you know, are you in health, the, the Hebrew word is shalom, peace. I mean, this guy is a, the consummate killer. And he could do this with a straight face. He'd go have a sandwich right after. It's just not a problem for him. Uh, Amasa is walking dead at the moment. He doesn't even know it. Joab's mind is made up, and there's no force on earth that's going to stop this, this, this uh, murder. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Now, he, he embraces, he gets close to Abner, who he killed years ago. I mentioned that point that he grabbed him by the beard, and just kind of, you know, as it gets muddled sometimes, he only grabs, it's only said that he grabs Amasa by the beard, and he's probably cupping it in the hand, and then he grabs it. So he, he is uh, using his uh, skills to, to kill him. Um, where was I there? Verse 9. Um, all right, so he says, are you in health? And Joab took a mace in his right hand. Now, we don't know if Joab was right-handed or left-handed. It didn't matter. He can kill you with either hand. Uh, he, that's what made him a consummate killer. Killer. Killer, if you're from Brooklyn, uh, but uh, otherwise, yeah. Uh, they're just these guys in the Bible you don't mess with. Lamech, Lam- uh, Lamech, he says, like, I killed two guys for messing with me there in the book of Genesis. He's with anybody else? <laughs> That's kind of an attitude. He wrote about it. And he's, I'm protecting my women. Uh, Samson, if you got on bad Samson's side, he'd take the gates of your city and maybe kill you too. He's just a guy you didn't mess with. You, his violence was all toward the Philistines. Joab was... To just whoever was close enough on a bad day with a sword out, with it, oh, my sword fell out. Which, again, if you you might hold that view, that was a ploy. Oh, I dropped my sword, but I, I don't, I don't think so, because a sword in those days was not for cutting onions. It's all. It's just a sword. That thing had one purpose, and that was to kill people. And to actually, you know, say, oops, my thing to kill people has just fallen out. Come give me a hug. Just I can't buy that. <laughs> so uh, you say, can we get away from the violence in the Old Testament? No, there's no way. It's, it's the curse of sin. It's all over the book. It's what we're dealing with. The blood in the Old Testament is, listen, this is physical war. Spiritual war is worse. You could die one time with physical war. You die for eternity, possibly, with spiritual war if you are on the wrong side. Verse 10, but Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba. (laughs) 
I mean, he didn't notice the sword, obviously, because Joab, it didn't fall on the ground. Uh, and, and he, you know, this is a stealth move. But I've covered that. I like covering it again. If it was a DVD, I'd probably rewind it if it was well done. Anyway, um, David's not going to forgive him for this. Second Kings five, Second uh, Kings chapter two, verse five. David is not going to forgive him for this, as with the others. And uh, this death blow, one blow is all Joab needed to get this job done. Um, this is his brand of military justice. He viewed Amasa as a liability. He was in the way. And so it's purposely said, the writer understands Joab. He says, thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba. Okay, he says, okay, good, that's done. Now, let's get back. Joab wakes up in the morning, kill Amasa, find Sheba, and get his head. And he just said, you know, okay, I'm ready. So... (laughs) Uh, he says to his brother, now we can get, take care of some business here. Abishai, he knows Joab. He's not saying, what did you do, David? You know, David's not going to... They don't even bother. All the men, what are they doing? They're going, ooh. <laughs> he killed the general, their own general. They've got to be in... There's a little shock here. Well, verse 11, meanwhile, <laughs> one of Joab's men stood near Mesa and said... Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. He, he knows Joab's moves. He's right there. Mace is on the ground dying a miserable death. It's gross. And he just goes right, okay. Joab is doing this for David. Whoever is for David, come follow Joab. And because he was a war hero in Israel. He was a great man. He just wasn't a good man. I would never invite Joab over for lunch. I wouldn't go to a restaurant with him. Uh, I, I wouldn't live in the same state as Joab. The guy is, you know, his sword might fall out. Anyway, David's reaction is not recorded until we get to Second Kings 5. I'm not going to take time to read it because it's already kind of late. But there you can read it yourself. I may get back to it. Um, Joab and Abishai won wars for David. Even though he did not like them, he could not deny. And the men knew there were less casualties with Abishai and Joab than anybody else. Well, this is very realistic. In World War II, we had two generals like this. Two generals that nobody liked except their men, as a rule. I mean, you always have some disgruntled. But uh, we had two generals that were fighters, and everybody else disliked them. And they understood. They had these instincts MacArthur and Patton. Fortunately for the Germans, they weren't both in Europe. And fortunately for the Japanese, they weren't both in the Pacific at the same time. So one thing that MacArthur did is he said, you know, they got these Japanese troops on, on these islands in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, these whole armies. He said, boy, we'll, we'll lose a lot of men fighting these guys. Let's skip them. Let's leave them on the islands. And we'll just cut off the supply lines and starve them to death. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, the, the, you know, Admiral King and, and Eisenhower and Bradley, they couldn't stand these guys. But those are the commanders that turned in the fewer casualties because they understood war. If it wasn't for Pat- Patton, we'd still be fighting the Battle of the Bulge, it seems, in, in Europe. Uh, so my point is, of course, I like to talk about these things because there's so much lessons for life in them. Uh, both men were treated poorly by their leaders, 
Uh, Patton said, listen, don't, let's give Stalin nothing. MacArthur says, what did Truman say? Don't bomb the Chinese communists. Let's go bomb them because that's the only way to save lives. And that's why he got fired. It's a genius move at Inchon. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm not here. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed reading uh, MacArthur's uh, autobiography. But Annie, coming back to this, you couldn't dispute that Abishai and Joab won wars. And this is why David could not get rid of them, even though he hated them. Uh, they had a hard time getting rid of Patton and, and uh, MacArthur. They did, I don't think they got rid of Patton. He just got in that car accident and died. I know the conspiracy theories. They were happy he was gone. Um, and, of course, Truman, he hated MacArthur. And he got rid of him. And David is going to live with these guys. And I hope that makes it real. It does for me. It answers my questions about why doesn't David kill Joab? Because he was useful. Verse 12 but Amasa wallowed in his blood. Didn't we meet, read that? Oh, no, I read it like nine times today. Uh, wallowed in his blood in, in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. Well, they were rubbernecking. That's what, you know, you see a terrible accident, you slow down so you can see as much of the morbid people uh, I try not to look. Okay, I get a little look in. Anyway, it's human nature. It's not admirable, but that's what they were doing. They were stopping, and, and Abishai and Joab, they're ready to go. Uh, anyway, verse 13. Uh, he was removed from the highway. All the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba. Out of sight, out of mind. The instincts, he knew what to do. He ordered, hey, get him off the road, we got to move forward. You know, if you've watched the movie Patton, you know there was a horse that was blocking the, the tanks on the bridge. <laughs> Patton pushed him off with tanks. I mean, it just, that's, we got to move. <sighs> I like the Old Testament. <laughs> I just don't want to live any of this stuff. I don't want to see anybody coming at me with a sword or even a pencil that's sharpened. Anyway, verse 14, And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth, Maka. Anyway, something to do with the meadow of Maaka. That's what it means. Anyway, uh, and the Berites, so they were gathered together, also went after Sheba. Okay, let me reread that. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth, Maaka, and all the Berites, so they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. So Sheba is busy. He's gaining support in all the other tribes. While Amasa, he delayed to give him time to do that, the very thing David feared. Joab did too, and, and Abishai, they knew what to do about this. Verse 15, then they came and besieged him at Abel Beth Maacah, and they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart, and all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Well, you could make a lot of pancakes from all that batter. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, when they saw Joab show up, when, when the Judah showed up, okay, who's the general? Joab. They all got nauseous at the same time. Uh, <laughs> the, he's like a monster. You just don't want him coming after you. He's what bad movies are made out of. 
they cast up this siege mound against the city. Well, that would take time. They're piling dirt up and rocks. and they, This is the city has a, a dry moat around it. So to get around the moat so they can batter the walls, they've got to fill it in. That's what the siege mound is all about. That means the people in the city, they had time to resolve this. But they wait until they say, you know what, this is going to work. They're going to get us. We better do something. That's what's, what's going on. Uh, the Romans did this at Masada. The, the, you go to Masada, the ramp is still there. And it is uh, quite remarkable how they, they, you know, they're trying to stop them from building it, throwing arrows at them, and they're just building this ramp. Nonetheless, combat engineers were earning their pay. This will cost their city, the city, if they continue to harbor this rebel. Verse 16. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Here, here, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. Again, why didn't she show up when they first came? We're not going to criticize them, are we? I do believe that uh, it's better in this case to have a woman talk to Joab than a man. Because Joab might have said that to a man. Why do you wait now? It's too late. But I do think that dynamic between male and female, which you can't get away from, uh, uh, can work in the favor of everyone. According to Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, when you besiege a city, you were supposed to offer terms of peace. Well, we don't read about that happening coming from Joab, which was where it's supposed to come from. Uh, Anyway, she had to have had a high enough reputation for them to allow her to parley here, to interact on behalf of their city. And she says, listen to me, please. Uh, Come near. He's not going to get too close to that wall. He knows what's happened to others. Ahimelech, for one, and, uh, and Uriah. Anyway, she remains unnamed, but her deeds, you don't forget them after you read this story, at least I don't think. She's saving a city from obliteration. A kind word, a soft answer, turns back wrath, but harsh words stirs, stirs up anger. Uh, verse 17, when he had come near to her, the woman said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. And she almost fainted. Uh, Then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So this is off to a good start. Uh, This, um, she is respectful. She is humble in her approach. And that's working. Verse 18. So she spoke saying, they used to talk in former times, saying they shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. So she's saying, listen, this is not a city of dummies here. Um, We can solve this problem. We've got a reputation for solving these problems. It's not new to us. He's listening. And um, again, they had many days to think this through. They might have been saying inside, you know, maybe we can, maybe somebody will come to help us and nobody's coming. Verse 19, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and the mother in Israel? Why would you swallow up the inheritance of Yahweh? Boy, she's pouring it on, is she not? She's throwing, you're going to kill women? And you're going to kill this glorious city? Uh, by, by When she says uh, a mother in Israel, she's saying a, a city that contributes to the land. This is up north in Israel, at its northernmost border area. Very beautiful up there, very green. And she is saying, these are harmless inhabitants, the daughter of Israel. Um, 
and, and he's he's listening. He doesn't care. All he wants is a Sheba's head, and he'll be happy with that. Uh, anyway, verse 20, And Joab answered and said, Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. Well, you know Joab. Something must have bumped him in his head to say something like that. Are you crazy? That's what he should have said. <laughs> and that would have been it. Uh, anyway, he's, he's, as a patriot, as a general, he is saying, I, I do not recklessly kill. I kill. But I got a good reason when I do it. And whether, I don't care what anybody else thinks. If I got a good reason. So uh, he's not backing away from the mission. Verse 20. Uh, that is not so. He's telling her, I'm not just here to kill. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. (laughs) You like her. She's like, well, you know, guns harm people. And, you know, (laughs) the climate's getting hot. Golly. Anyway, she she's like, we got a hacksaw. Be right back. <laughs> now, you notice I've been skipping over how many times it's been said Sheba, the son of Bikari, or Bikari. I won't bicker over pronunciations. Anyway, it, again, the shame this man brings on his family because he's rowing the wrong way, which is the lesson I want, I feel led to emphasize for you and for me. Anyway, Joab concisely lays it out to her what his mission is. And uh, she says, well, lob his head over to you in a, in a moment. And she goes back to the men of the city and she says, here's the deal. And they're already, they already got the saws out. So we heard you. <laughs> no problem. We can do this. Joab, the man of action. Uh, He's impressed with them because they're people of action too. Sometimes it's not enough to just be kind. Sometimes it's not enough to to come up with a plan. You've got to get it done. And that's what uh, we're seeing both of them doing. Verse 22. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people and they cut off the head of Sheba and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew the trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king in Jerusalem. How ironic, right? That's what Sheba did. He blew the trumpet, (laughs) and he said, everyone to his tent. But yet, he's the one that was decapitated. He is the one that lost his head in the whole deal. Was it worth it? Sheba, was it worth it? I don't want, you know, that's the lesson God says to us. Is this, is this worth it? Are you going to just throw it all away? Think about it. Take your time. I've got these lessons, you know. So, all in a day's work, swift and sure solution. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And we've seen, we've seen them in this chapter. Um, we, we've seen, of course, Abigail. And we see this woman here. We see the woman from Tekoa. They were, you know, bringing peace to a situation. Even though the woman from Tekoa was lying through her teeth, (laughs) Joab put her up to it. Uh, She got the job done. Verse 23. And Joab was over all the army of Israel. Yeah, because nobody wanted the job. (laughs) Nobody said he's killed Mesa, he's killed Abner. 
that job has an occupational hazard built into it. That uh, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Kirathites and the Pelathites. Uh, this is David's cabinet now that we're getting. So the writer is summing it up. We're going to get back to the Philistine war after this chapter. But uh, Joab, the general, and Benaniah, captain of the palace guard. Well, we got time now to read some of this because you read this, you say, well, if the story ended there, you would say, whatever happened to these guys? Well, we go to Kings. Let's say, I thought I had Kings. Did somebody come up here and touch this pulpit? Because we probably didn't have it, the voltage on, if you did. First Kings chapter, chapter 5, verse 26 that's not right. This is, a, this, is, this is what happened. But when you're a professional, you can work around it. It's the humility that gets you through these things. <laughs> Just knowing you're the best, it helps a lot. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm being silly while I'm looking for the verse. I'm using my... I'm doing two things. I'm talking to you and I'm scrambling at the same time. Oh, this is not good. 34, there we are. Okay. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him. That's Joab. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of over Abiathar. Well, we get Abiathar's name in verse 25. We're not there yet. So there we see. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Benaniah and Joab are commanders, independent uh, commanders here at this, this time, but Joab is going to be killed by Benaniah. Benaniah is loyal to David, and he's a serious guy. Well, I can't wait to get to him. One of my favorites. Verse 24, Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of that guy, was recorder. Now, uh, Jehoshaphat is not the same as the king that well, is not even born yet, the King Jehoshaphat that is coming. Uh, this uh, Adoram is, uh, he's going to die too, a, a violent death. And king, once the kingdom splits, Rehoboam comes to the throne, 1 Kings 12, verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all the Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. Rehoboam didn't think the people were serious when they said, we don't want you to be their king. So he still tries to collect money. He doubles down. And that silly decision got this guy killed. Verse 25, Shiva was scribe and Zadok and Abiathar were the priest. So David made changes, but back to 1 Kings reading. What happened to Abiathar? Well, he sided with Adonijah, David's other son, who tried to take the throne from Solomon. And, uh, and to Abba, Solomon says to Abiathar the priest, The king said, Go to Anath, your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of Yahweh, God, or actually it's the Lord Yahweh, before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. What a, what a waste. Such a noble man, loyal, but in the end, he runs out of gas. He doesn't finish well. He sides against the will of David and the will of God. 
And he tries to put somebody else on the throne. He too started rowing the wrong way. And he loses his, pre- his calling. He's defrocked. And uh, it's a sad story. Verse 26. And Ira the Jerorite was a chief minister under David. He's probably chief of staff. And uh, this is a popular name amongst the Jews you, 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 to this day. And they name a lot of their children Ira. I don't know if it's because of that. Anyway, he's probably, you know, he, he's just a noble man. And that's all we read of him. Well, let's pray. And hopefully lessons from the headless oarsman. You notice, did you notice how it was like the headless horseman, but it's really oarsman? Creativity is just... Well, Father, these are gruesome lessons, but they make us think every time we come across them. We can either uh, complain that, uh, boy, the Bible is so violent as though humans aren't, or we can get to work and see what lessons we can extract to your glory. We thank you. We ask that you get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.